Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, the ups and downs and how to navigate life with kids on your own while keeping sane. Covering subjects such as domestic violence through to fussy eaters and solo dating. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. At the beginning of February this year, we had an awesome gentleman on to talk about The Addicted Child and the book he'd written on the subject to help parents recognize the signs and then understand what the next steps were should their child be addicted to substances or any other things um, like shopping, etc. Since then, Richard Capriola has been investigating how the pandemic has impacted teen substance abuse and teen mental health. And today, Richard has come along to the podcast to tell us what he has found out. Welcome, Richard. Thanks for coming back. How are you? I'm doing great, Claire. Thank you so much for inviting me back. It's a pleasure to be here. No, I think it's fascinating that you've been investigating the pandemic and and like, I'd love to know what the results are and um, yeah, what you've found out. So just in case people missed you on the last podcast, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you actually do? Yeah, I, uh, uh, for years, uh, I was in uh, education, uh, education administration, uh, then transitioned over to working in the mental health substance abuse field, worked uh, as a mental health and substance abuse counselor for over a decade at Menninger Clinic, uh, which is a large psychiatric hospital in Houston, Texas, and uh, worked with both uh, teenager, uh, teenagers and adults. Um, after I left Menninger, uh, because I'd worked with so many families and seen the struggle that they'd gone through with their children uh, who were exposed to and using substances, I wrote a book for parents, and it's, uh, it's called The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, uh, because I wanted parents to feel more confident, less paranoid, better prepared to, to deal with this issue, to know the warning signs, really, that's the important thing, to know the warning signs on what to look for so that they can intervene early and if needed, get their child treatment and get beyond this. So I put this book together, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent uh, Substance Abuse. I kept it short uh, because parents are busy. They don't have time to read volumes of information on this. Uh, so I kept it to around 100 pages. So I think it, hopefully it's, a, it's a, a quick resource for parents that will give them the warning signs and the assessments that they need to know about and help them feel just better confident about this topic. Uh, um, And and all of that's available at the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Yeah. And look, um, if anyone wants to um, hear Richard talk about it in more detail, um, we interviewed you way back in um, February, the February edition of the podcast. So they can go back and listen to you talk all about your book and how you came to actually um, write it and then, you know, the content of it and how you help um, adults, um, adults, what am I talking about? How you help parents (laughs) of addicted children. So, um, yeah, no, that's great. So um, thank you for that. Thank you. Um, So the pandemic, tell us about your research and um, what you've been doing. 
Well, the, the research that has come out uh, fairly recently um, looked at um, how the pandemic affected teenage substance abuse. This is, uh, this is a survey that's done every year. It's a national survey that looks at how uh, teenagers are using substances like alcohol and, and drugs and, and the extent that they're using it. And this year, the report um, showed that during the pandemic, uh, there was a rather dramatic decrease in adolescent substance abuse. Um, wow. It's sort of a it's sort of a double edged sword because we saw adolescent substance abuse go down but we saw mental health issues go up. Um, so while kids might have been using substances less, they were struggling more with their mental health issues. But in terms of the substances across the board, pretty much, we saw a significant decline in 2021 due to the pandemic. And that includes uh, substances like alcohol and marijuana and nicotine vaping. Uh, for example, uh, the percentage of high school seniors that uh, were using uh, alcohol, drinking alcohol, dropped from 55% down to 47%. Uh, the number of 10th graders dropped that were drinking alcohol dropped from 41 all the way down to 29%. And we saw similar changes, uh, declines. We saw declines in marijuana use. We saw declines in nicotine vaping and marijuana vaping, which until the pandemic, this vaping issue uh, had really started to dramatically increase. Vaping is where they will take a substance like nicotine or marijuana, put it into an instrument, turns it into a vapor, and then they inhale it. Well, until the pandemic, for about three years prior to the pandemic, we'd been, we'd been seeing dramatic increases in, in high school students uh, vaping nicotine and vaping marijuana. But the pandemic, like it did with the rest of the substances, sort of drove that down. Um, now, even though the a pandemic caused a, a decline in, in teenage uh, substance abuse. Uh, the, the numbers are still high. For example, one in three high school seniors still report using some type of an illicit drug, mostly marijuana. And uh, so, so it's still an issue that's out there. But the pandemic did uh, cause a decline in substance uh, use. We'll know in about another year whether or not, now that we've moved away from the pandemic and kids are back into the regular classroom, uh, back into their social activities, uh, in a year from now, we'll, uh, we'll have data which shows if that decline has now um, stabilized or a year into the uh, after pandemic uh, during this academic year, do we see an increase in, in substance uh, abuse now that we're moving away from the pandemic? And we'll know that in about a year from now. Wow. So do we so do we actually understand why there was a decrease? Is it because the kids were at home and they, you know, didn't they couldn't get it quite so readily? Is it because, you know, they aren't around their friends as such, therefore the peer pressure isn't there? Have have they investigated why? I, I think I think you just mentioned probably 
two of the most important reasons. Um, you know, kids were pulled away from, from their school environment. They were pulled away from their social activities, their friends. They were isolated at home. There was a significantly less peer interaction mm. among kids. So I think that all accounts for uh, why we were why we saw the decline. And, and, and like I was saying, now that they're back into their social environments, back into their traditional classroom settings, um, in a year from now, we'll see if, uh, if that caused an increase in substance use among teenagers, or did the decline stabilize? Wow, yeah, no. That, was there any difference between um, boys and girls? Was, you know, did they see any difference there at all? I, no, I don't think they did. Um, I mean, there is a difference between substance abuse between boys and girls, but that's always been the case. Mm. But in terms of the decline, no, because uh, boys and girls both uh, were, were were restricted, so to speak. You know, they, they both were pulled away from their normal uh, social interactions and from their friends. So uh, I, I think the research was pretty well consistent that there was a decline across the board because of the pandemic. So, which is a good thing. You know, I mean, any substance yeah. abuse um, declines are a good thing. I suppose it's just understanding yeah. why and seeing if any of those whys can then be converted um, into wins when we're in an endemic, not a pandemic as such. So, but, but we didn't find that younger children... So there was no difference in ages at all that we weren't. I mean, I can under, I can imagine that children, adolescents, and teens, their their substance abuse reduced and their parents increased because <laughs> there was sort of like the um, having the children at home twenty four seven potentially could um, increase anyone's substance abuse of alcohol or anything else. Um, yeah. And I think I've had um, I've had a gentleman on. Paul Dillon, uh, Dillon, yeah, uh, who from Sydney, who basically does research on alcohol um, and substance abuse as well, and um, yeah, he was discussing and talking about the pandemic and its effect, and I know its effect on adults. You know that it yes. just increased everything. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Was that what was discovered in the research that you did? Well, the research that uh, that I saw was primarily uh, focusing on teenagers, on adolescents. Oh, okay. but, uh, but I have seen some reports about how the pandemic did cause an increase in, uh, say, alcohol consumption mm. among women. Um, so, uh, you know, they were under, uh, you know, parents were under a lot of stress, too, because of the pandemic. Uh, their kids were at home all the time, like you were saying. Yeah. You know, some of them, uh, their work situations were dramatically changed. So a lot of stress for, for adults as well. And, and I could see where, um, you know, some of the data might be pointing towards an increase in, in substance use among, uh, um, among adults, particularly alcohol, alcohol. So, okay. So that's good then. Regarding the mental health um, side of things, yeah. um, what was found, I mean, I know we said um, it increased, but in what ways yes. did it increase? What were they finding? Well, prior to the pandemic, we'd already seen a, a, an alarming increase in the mental health uh, of, of, of youth. Um, you know, uh, we had begun to see for you know, 2009 to 2019, 
we had already witnessed a large increase in the number of high school students that reporting symptoms of feeling sad and hopelessness. We'd seen an increase in teenagers reporting uh, suicidal thoughts. And then uh, during the pandemic, because of all the challenges that we discussed earlier, uh, we began to see increases in adolescent depression and anxiety, um, you know, uh, almost doubled. Uh, anxiety and, and depression almost doubled among teenagers. And the number of teenagers showing up at hospital emergency rooms for suspected suicide also dramatically increased, particularly among girls, uh, somewhat for boys, but particularly among girls. Um, and, and students were reporting symptoms of feeling anxious and angry and annoyed. They felt uh, bored and sad and lonely, and and many were experiencing sleep problems throughout the uh, throughout the uh, pandemic. So, uh, this mental health crisis that we'd already been seeing prior to the uh, pandemic, uh, the, the pandemic just intensified it. Do we do we know um, from research the research um, what they were anxious and angry about? Um, as such, you know, were they angry at the government? Were they angry at the pandemic in general? Were they angry? Um, I mean, I know <laughs> it's a long time ago. I mean, it's like somewhat 40 odd years ago for myself. But like, I, I, you know, being a teenager, you are very much angry. You know, you are you're angry at society. You're angry at rules and regulations that are set down. You know, I mean, I remember being a teenager and being angry that it was expected that I had to give my seat up on the bus. <laughs> These silly, <laughs> silly, trivial things. But I was expected to give my seat up on the bus to somebody who was older than me, who was perfectly fit and well and could stand up. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, I... I was all fine for, you know, the elderly. So, you know, anyone who, you know, was old um, yeah. and wasn't capable of standing up. But to give my seat up to somebody who was like, you know, 40 to 50 when they were actually capable <laughs> of standing up. Do you know what I mean? Like all fine yeah. for giving up for a pregnant woman or whatever. I was all fine with that. But I just was like very much annoyed and angry that there was this rule that I had to give my seat up to an elder, right? Yeah. Um which I wouldn't even think twice about now, but like being a teenager, you're just angry at these things, right? And um, <laughs> and I know it's just insane. But like, do you do we know from the research what teenagers are angry and and anxious about? I ha I haven't seen the research on that, but but I suspect uh, that that anger, um, you know, came as a result of, of, of feeling restricted and tied down, uh, being pulled away from their friends, uh, being limited pretty much to social interactions over the internet, social media, uh, not being able to um, leave the house, so to speak, being, being almost a feeling of imprisoned in their homes. Um, you know, all of those feeling restricted, you know, and, and anytime we feel 
tied down and restricted, uh, so they can we can get angry about that. And I think that uh, that that plays a big role in terms of some of the feelings that these kids were having. And remember, this just wasn't for a day or two or a week. You know, they they were pretty well restricted and pulled away from their normal activities for months after months after months, and um, and, and and that can that can that can wear them down as well. And 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 bring out some feelings of frustration and anxiety and anger. yeah yeah and I've got to I've got to admit I mean I've got a six-year-old and um he he actually became uh and felt a lot yeah. safer at home it seemed as though he didn't want to go out and his little world got smaller and he was quite happy staying at home, you know, watching movies, doing school from home. He didn't really want to go to home. So he sort of his world shrunk as such, uh, which concerned me because um, and I don't know if you've seen any research on younger children um, below, you know, 13 and younger as such yeah. and whether that has affected them because he's quite comfortable being at home now and so it's hard yeah. to get him to go out and I know speaking to a lot of the other parents at school they're finding the same thing with their children of a similar age yeah, I, I think that, you know, there is differences between children who are preteen, very, very young, and how they dealt with being confined at home. Uh, then we find with the older teenagers, the, the 15, 16, 17 year olds who are more receptive to social interaction, who, who, who really are moving away from their parents and, and trying to gain their own independence. And they've developed a network of social activities and social social interactions. I think the more social a child is, perhaps the more difficult this isolation was for them. Yeah. Um, for some kids, you know, they actually thrived in that environment. They thrived in um, being being at home. I was talking to a school principal earlier today, and she was making the comment that some kids really did uh, very, very well at home doing online classes, mm. and, and other kids uh, not so well. So every, I think it just shows that every child's different. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. So if we were to have another pandemic, God forbid, but if we were to have another pandemic hit, like what, yes. what can we do as parents to actually ease, you know, what lessons have been learned from this pandemic that can actually make our lives a bit yeah. easier? And it like it's, and hey, I'm, talking to you from the most locked down city in the world okay we spent like nigh on nearly 270 odd days locked down with curfews and you know restricting on how far we can even leave our houses um yeah. and uh, you know thankfully those restrictions have now been lifted and you know we don't need to wear masks outside which i'm still a bit dubious yeah. about so God forbid we should actually get hit by another pandemic, but like, um, is there anything that we can do to help our children um, deal with these situations that we find ourselves in, you know, within the pandemic or such? Well, I think that there are things that families can do to um, help their children with their mental health, regardless of whether we're in the middle of an, a, a pandemic or not. Because as I was saying earlier, there was a mental health crisis before the pandemic. Well, that's right. So, so I think that there are some things that parents can do. 
to strengthen, reinforce, so to speak, their child's mental health. Um, one of them is to be a good role model and take care of ourselves, take care of our own mental health and our own physical health and see, let children see that, that, that we are doing that and how we're doing it. Another thing is to help our children develop strong, safe and reliable, stable relationships. Mm. The re research shows that the most important thing a child needs is a stable, committed relationship with a supportive adult. So help our, help our children develop that strong, safe and stable relationship yes and it, another and another, also sorry Richard to interrupt you uh, and also when going back to what you just said about a strong stable um adult and this is the plus point for being a single parent it doesn't have to be two strong stable adults it only has right. to be one stable adult within their lives as long as they have one stable adult within their lives children have seemed to um you know, be able to get through the trauma of divorce, separations, all of the other things that actually yeah. occur, as long as they have that one stable rock in their life as such. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point. It, it uh, you know, it is that one stable relationship that's so important enough to have more that's great but it, but you know one at least one is is very important and then encourage our children to build healthy social relationships with peers and teach them what a healthy social relationship was or is and then be attentive be attentive to how our children are spending their time online on my uh, on my book's website there is a blog mm -hmm. and i would encourage parents to go to that website help www.helptheaddictedchild.com um, and, and there is a blog article which has 10 questions 10 questions we can ask our children to get a uh, a reading on their mental health so to speak okay. and these are really simple questions for example what three you could ask a child what three words best describe how you're feeling right now just three words, how you're, how you're feeling right now. Another one is, if your feelings were weather, what kind of a day would it be outside? So there's, there's 10 of these. That's quite a good question to ask a younger child as well, isn't it? Because, yes. you know, they yes, know what the weather's yeah. like. Yeah, and, 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 and they can very quickly give you a response to that. So these 10 questions, and you don't have to ask all 10, pick out one or two that you really like, like the weather one for a very young child, or if your child's a little older, pick out one of the other ones. Um, and then just use those questions as a way to check in periodically on your child's mental health. So I would encourage parents to go to the website, helptheaddictedchild.com, read the article, um, you know, jot down uh, one, two, three of the questions that you think your child would find interesting and ones that they're likely to respond to and use that sort of as a check-in to see how are they doing right now? How are they doing today? Um, you know, things like the weather for a very young kid, that can be fun, that can be entertaining, but it can also give you a checkpoint on how they're doing. 
you know, are, are they having a really sunny day? Are they having a cloudy day? You know, and then you can use that as a, as a starting point, maybe of a discussion. If your child says, you know, well, my day feels like, uh, you know, it's pouring down raining, then you can say, well, help me understand why you feel that way. Um, it's just a way of being able to check in on our kids' mental health and see how things are going. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's important for us as parents to stay calm regarding yeah. the answers that they give us. It's not about us panicking or getting angry or, or really um, sort of, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, sort of going, well, what, you know, being really ac- accusationalist. That's a, yeah. I don't even know yeah. if that's a word. Am, am I, am I, <laughs> am I right? It's like, yeah. because, yeah. because if you react in a negative way and you're not calm, then they pick up on that and they will then go, Oh, I'm, I'm not going to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's a great point because they're going to take their reaction. They're going to take it from you. Um, and, and if, if you, give a reaction that they don't like, they're more likely to shut down rather than open up. So what you want to do is you want your reaction to be from an inquiring point of view. In other words, well, you say that you feel like it's, you're, you, you know, you feel inside like it's raining outside. Can you help me understand why you feel that way? Or what is it that, that you think is responsible for that? So you're actually trying to um, help the child understand that you're curious about how they're feeling the way they're feeling and you're asking that child to uh, to to participate with you in under you know, so you want to approach it from not from a not from panic, uh, but but basically an inquiring point of view. I hear you say I hear you say that you feel this way. Can you help me understand why you might be feeling that way? And then the other thing is, you know, kids need to know that you know, oftentimes what they're feeling is normal. So it's okay to share with that child, you know, that. Um, if they're feeling sad, that sometimes you feel sad too. That if they feel angry, that anger is a normal human emotion. And sometimes, um, sometimes I feel angry too. So that they begin to see that these emotions that they're having are not something to feel embarrassed about or or something to keep hidden. But it's okay to talk to you as their um, as their friend, as their trusted uh, adult, so that you know they begin to see that. Other people have these same emotions that they do too. And it's okay to talk to mom and dad about them. Yes. It's about normalizing, I suppose. And, and, and not, and, and not having, not putting yourself on a pedestal as such um, or them, you're human. And I suppose that's why I called the podcast, you know, strong, single and human, because it is, we're all human and we're, (laughs) you know, as parents, we make mistakes, right? We're not perfect. Uh, and we're human. Yes, everyone yeah, is right, everyone right. is a human being. Well, unless there's aliens out there that we haven't actually sort of discovered. But you know, <laughs> like we're all human beings. We all make mistakes. Yeah, yes. we just we've just got to be honest about that and learn from our mistakes. Mistakes, mistakes are our friends. That's the key, as it were. Yeah, that's the key because we're supposed to learn from them. Yes. So okay. So what happens if you? find out that you do have a child that is 
depressed, anxious, or uh, is abusing substances? What can, what can you do if you are in that situation? And, you know, I mean, it's, well, it's not even so much being in that situation because of the pandemic, but, you know, um, just being in, situa in that situation in general. I think the first thing you want to do is have a discussion with that child. Uh, and again, you're com we're coming at it from an inquiring point of view, not from a point of view of accusing the child of using substances or, or being anxious or being depressed or, uh, or any other uh, symptom that we may have picked up on. Uh, but we want to uh, uh, approach it from an inquiring point of view to see if the child will uh, give us some information as to why they're feeling the way they're feeling or why they're acting the way they're acting. Um, and, and, and sometimes that can be a very frustrating uh, thing for a parent because the child may react by being angry and shut down and not give you very much mm. information. Or they may actually share something with you that you didn't know. But regardless of, of, of how that conversation goes, um, if, if you're a parent and you're concerned that your child is using alcohol or drugs or that they're feeling depressed or suicidal or that they're feeling, you know, overwhelmed or anxious or depressed, then I think you need to call on some of the professionals to give you an assessment, to give you a professional assessment, uh, to either rule in or rule out whether or not there is something that needs uh, to be treated. And if so, what's the best approach to getting treatment? So as a parent, you want to you want to get the professionals involved to give you an accurate assessment, a diagnosis, if it's appropriate, and a treatment plan if it's needed yeah yeah I agree I agree it's um yeah it's the best thing um to do really is to remove if they're not going to open up to yourself to actually remove you from that situation yes. and get a third party involved yes. um because that may um they may feel that they can open up to that third party because they aren't going to be judged or they're not going to you know sometimes children don't actually divulge information because they feel as though they're going to make um disappoint you or you yeah. know upset you or whatever and therefore you know they're wanting to protect you as the parent um and therefore it's easier to talk to a third party as such yeah no and sometimes, uh, not all the time, but sometimes uh, a child that might be abusing a substance, uh, alcohol, marijuana, any other drug, um, in some cases is using it to medicate an underlying mental mm -hmm. health issue. And oftentimes we get we get so wound up at looking at the substance abuse that we forget that there might be an underlying issue that needs to be treated yeah. as well. So uh, that's that's why it's so important that if your child is using a substance that you get a comprehensive assessment to rule in or rule out if there's any other psychological mental health issues that your child might be struggling with that you didn't know anything about. Maybe it's anxiety, uh, maybe it's depression, uh, could be any number of issues. But, but as a parent, you want to rule in or rule out if there's any other issues that need to be treated. Now, sometimes this might just be normal, typical adolescent acting out behavior. Um, and if that's true, you need to know that too. Uh, you need to have that ruled in or ruled out. But you want to be careful because in some cases, there might be other issues that need treatment as well as, say, the substance mm. abuse. Yes. And um, and as you were saying that, I was just sitting here thinking, well, sometimes they just don't know. And you, as a parent, may not have the skills to be able to delve deeper into yeah. the reasons because 
um, we've only got a certain set of skills and we might be very, very good at our day jobs, but actually there's no manual when it comes to bringing up kids and we're no psychologists or therapists. And therefore, um, right. you know, if that's not our forte um, and there are obviously other emotional connections that we've had with our children that get in the way. So um, the kids may not know when you ask them why they're doing what they're doing. I just don't know. And so may, that might yeah. be an answer. That might be an answer you get. Yeah. You, you, you may very well get that answer. I don't know. So you're, you're absolutely right. Rely on the professionals to give you the, the, the best, the best assessments and the best advice. Yeah, no, agreed. Agreed. So um, you mentioned previously that you've got a blog on your website and things like that. So um, what other things do you discuss and talk about on your website that might help our parents to um, get through this? Well, there is a uh, there's a blog article uh, on what we talked about earlier, uh, the pandemic and how it affected teenage substance abuse. There's mm. uh, an article that briefly um, gives a little bit more detail than what we talked about. There is this article on teen mental health and has these 10 questions that you can ask children to check in on their mental health. Um, and then besides that, um, there's information on the, uh, on the website about the book, helptheaddictedchild.com, uh, uh, helptheaddictedchild.com. But there's, um, there's information on the book. Uh, the Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. I think there's mm. a, there's uh, there's also a sample chapter. Uh, there's a link to order the book. And I would encourage parents to get a copy of the book. Uh, it's not going to take you long to, to to read it. You'll get the warning signs. You'll, you'll get information on what assessments you should get done if you need to get it done. It'll give you information on what the treatment options are. Um, and it'll give you information about how to recognize what a good treatment program program looks like and what questions you should ask a potential treatment provider yeah. so all of that all of that's on the books books website and if, if people want to ask you a question can they send you directly a communication as well a question yes Yes, on, cool. on the book's website, there is a link where they can contact me directly. They can ask a question, make a comment, and it'll come directly to me. Awesome, awesome. I mean, you know, obviously they can come through me as well, so that's all great. That's that's awesome. There are many, many different ways to communicate with you, Richard. <laughs> that's great. Exactly, exactly. No, that's okay. And look, um, one final question. I know I asked you last time what superpower you would have, <laughs> okay. but... I'm not going to ask you that again, because let's not repeat okay. this. I've got a new one. I have a new question, okay? If you won $10 million tomorrow, oh, I would spend it on giving a grant or several grants to a school district um, so that they could implement a, a new way mm -hmm. of educa educating children to stay away from things like alcohol and drugs. And because what we're doing isn't working, mm -hmm. it just isn't working. Um, I would rather see a curriculum that starts in the elementary grades where we focus on helping kids understand how their brain works 
and what the brain does and how important it is to protect the brain. I would teach that in elementary school and I would reinforce it every year in elementary school. And then in middle school and high school, I would start to introduce how drugs work in the brain. So in elementary school, they learn about the brain. In middle school and high school, they learn about what drugs do to the brain. Um, and, and again, that's something that's reinforced every single year. So we're really turning the drug education into a neuroscience education because what I've noticed is kids don't pay attention to you telling mm -hmm. them drugs are illegal or they're bad for you or they're going to cause you all these problems. They don't believe that. But what they do pay attention to is the science, the neuroscience. So I would use that mm -hmm. money to implement a curriculum in a local school district that starts in the elementary grades with teaching kids about the brain and then in middle school and high school teaches them how drugs drugs work in the brain. I think that can make a difference. I agree. I agree. And um, because right. so many, and also they don't know what they're laced with and various different other things like that. So it's, you know, it, and, and yeah, and they really don't want to go down that avenue. And nine times out of 10, they probably will. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's giving them the information. And I know there's a lot of people who would be out there who would say, oh, don't give them the information because then you're just encouraging them. But I, I think it's, yeah. I mean, you've been years, years and years in this like line of work. And so it's coming from people like yourselves. We need to educate people regarding this. I think also we need to enable more a two-way communication, a non-judgmental two-way communication regarding emotions yeah. and situations and circumstances that affect kids' mental health. And not, I mean, in my day, a child was seen yeah. and not heard, right? And um, basically, uh, you know, it, issues that maybe I look at now being the age I am and go oh for god's sake that's just nothing to worry about when you're a teenager it's a big major thing it's a major thing yeah. in your life you haven't lived the 50 odd years that I've lived and therefore you haven't seen an experience and when you're going through something it's full on it's it's the most you know the number one thing and although as parents, we can say, oh, you'll get through it. It'll be okay. Like first loves and things like that, right? End of the world, right? But, and we know they'll get through it, but it's actually not judging them and actually letting them sit within that emotion and, and dealing with that. And I think us accepting that although it's a traumatic event for them and we, we're trivializing it a little bit, um, we should actually just yeah, sit and listen yeah, yeah. and accept yeah. So um, hopefully, although I'm not sure it's going to change anytime soon, but hopefully things are gradually changing. We've got a lot more people speaking out about mental health. Um, I was reading today that there's um, a young man who has gone missing. He's gone missing in New South Wales and he's been missing for six weeks. But the bo his boss, where he works, has set up a... Um, walk it out charity as such to basically um yeah. get men to talk 
because men right. don't talk in this country um, and I'm sure they don't talk all over the world. So it's about getting men to actually yes. talk and to change the culture that we've had for such a long yeah. time and to say it's okay. It's yeah. all right to feel a bit, you know, out of sorts. Yes, um, yes. And, and to reach out. That's so very oh, important. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. Look, thank you, Richard, for coming and joining us, coming back to us again and talking about the research that you've discovered regarding pandemic and teen mental health. Um, it's been interesting. I was very surprised that it had decreased, the substance abuse had decreased, which is a good sign. Maybe not, can we do this, but not in a pandemic would be better. But... Um, you know, but <laughs> well, we'll see in a year. We'll, we'll see in a year uh, if um, uh, if the decline uh, uh, stabilizes mm. uh, and continues, or if we see an increase uh, because kids getting back to their uh, their regular routines. But uh, we'll know. We'll know. Yeah, soon enough. and we've got. I mean, like you know, we've got the war in Ukraine now kicking off and things like that. So it's oh, yeah. like all of those factors. That I think. We've just been through a pandemic. We've now got wars kicking off in different parts of the world, which I just find mind-blowing in this day and age. But yeah. anyway, um, I'm not here to solve the political, um, you know, shenanigans of the world. But <laughs> I wonder what these things, you know, I wonder what effects these will actually yeah. have on our children. Because, you know, I was probably the first generation who'd never been through a war. So... Um, well, actually, no, my, parent would, my parents would have been the first generation that had never been through a war. So, like, I'm like the second, and then we've got Gen X and Gen Y and all of that stuff. Um, and so mm -hmm. our kids have never really experienced that. We've always been in safe, secure, you know, economics, uh, economies around the world have sort of been stable, and we've never had to deal with this, um, right. not potentially on this scale. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the world communicates with social media and all of those things and how hopefully yeah. it will influence what's going on in a positive way. But we'll just have to sit here and see, yeah. won't we? Well, that's a that's another issue that uh, that we might want to discuss, uh, you know, at some mm. point in the future. In, um, and that is. Uh, social media and how social media has affected adolescents because the research that's coming out is showing that um, you know that, that that social media is having um, a, a, an impact on the image of, of teenagers especially girls um, and uh, so that's a discussion we might want to have at a future day too and 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 how social media is affecting teenagers and and what what parents can do to help their children with social media because I think this is going to become more and more of an issue that families are confronting if they're not already doing it now. Uh, yeah, I I completely agree, and I just oh my brain explodes that we have um, teenagers or very young people, early 20s, who have earned millions and millions of dollars off of social media and who and are doing just brainless yeah. stunts but attracting so many people yeah. to their channels. Um, mentally, I don't think it's healthy for them. Um, they're not doing anything that right. actually adds to the world. And what are we teaching yeah. our children? You know, like, yes, it's, you know, I, don't, I just don't know. Um, so, 
yeah, we're getting a lot of people who are haven't experienced life, who are influencing millions, millions right. and millions of other people, and that yep. scares me. Um, yeah. And oh dear, we don't want to go in half a dozen other subjects. I AI <laughs> and all of that stuff is just like a frightening situation. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the internet was introduced to be a positive thing, but it's morphing into mm. yeah, affecting our lives. In, you yep. know, it's, it's po- there's yin and yang with everything, I suppose. Yep. But there's actually um, we need to just be more aware of the yin um, and <laughs> encourage the yang, if yeah. that's right. I don't know if I've done that right or wrong, but anyway. Um, so look, thank you, thanks ever so much for joining us this morning. Um, and um, yeah, look, um, have a great okay. rest of your weekend. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. All right. Speak to you later. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you'd like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family on all the usual social media platforms that you're normally on. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content that I know you're going to want to hear like this. If you want to check out past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey, and Twitter. Have a wonderful week, and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself, and remember... No one's perfect and we're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin and you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast.